Good morning. I just think it's wrong of you all to make this young lady hobble all the way up there without her knee. I, I'm going to report y'all to the Baptist Mafia. I'm not part of the Mafia, but I know some of them. Those people. If you would, turn in your scriptures to James chapter 1, verse 19. We'll look there in just a second. I'll give you an opportunity to look there or to find it. James chapter 1 is where we'll be. So again, once again, I bring greetings from Steve Ballou and the rest of the staff at the Baptist Convention. And even Tar this time told me to tell you all hi. So uh, he and I have this little friendly rivalry going on, which uh, we've been doing that for years. So it's just more fun to continue that. We're just... We just don't want you all to forget how grateful we are for your cooperation with, with us and other Southern Baptist churches in the state of Mexico with your prayers and your support by being involved in stuff that we offer and that we do together collectively and also the generosity of, that your, of your gifts to the cooperative program. We all realize that, that there's a lot of people in New Mexico who need to hear, and around the world, but in particular in New Mexico, who need to hear the name of Jesus and, and hear the message of salvation and the gospel, the gospel truth of what Jesus came to do for, for all of mankind, even though we didn't deserve it. You know? So we, we need each other to work together in that. And so thanks so much for your cooperation in that. And uh, just keep, keep up your faithfulness. And if I could ask one favor of you, we're entering into all the final preparation and stuff for the youth camps that I'm in charge of and the children's camps that other people are in charge of and all the summer camping ministry that we do. If you all would just begin to, if you haven't already, some of you may have already begun to pray, but just pray that God would have his way with the students and with the children when they, when they come to our camps this summer. So let's look at James chapter 1, <coughs> verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, my brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his face, at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, is, uh, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans, widows, excuse me, orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's an old Spanish proverb that goes this way, two great talkers will not travel far together. We all know some folks who uh, don't seem to listen to anybody. Uh, or accept themselves. They use a lot of words, but they really don't have so much to say. And it's as almost, if it, almost as if they enjoy the sound of their own voice so much, so they just keep speaking and talking and not really saying anything. You know the talk, you know the type, don't you? Uh, and please don't mention any names, because some of those folks may be with us, but we know the type. 
that they talk so much that it's hard for us to get a word in edgewise. They've never learned, or at least have never put into practice, the principle of less is more. And they've also either never, 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 boy, man, ah, my teeth. They've never learned uh, or heard the principle, uh, the proverbial statement that says it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> I heard a story one time about President Franklin Roosevelt, and he wanted to see in these big fancy state affairs that he would have and have folks at the White House and host a dinner and be in a receiving line if anybody ever really listened to anything that he said. And so as all the dignitaries and all the guests were passing through and he's shaking hands and greeting all of these folks, he would whisper to each one of them, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And most people just continued, you know, they just responded with, with continue with your great work, Mr. President, or how lovely, it's so great to hear that. And it's very obvious that nobody was listening, and listening to him until this one foreign diplomat leaned in and responded softly, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> so if we're, if we're spending all of our time speaking, it's very difficult for us to listen. Someone said it's impossible for a worthwhile thought to enter your mind through an open mouth. Listening is an art that many of us aren't willing to develop, uh, yet the Bible tells us listening is very important to one another, and most importantly, to the Lord. Let's look back at verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now in our world, especially in America, we celebrate, and we should, the freedom of expression. And we practice it. Some of us practice it more than others. But the directive that uh, James gives us sort of uh, sounds counterintuitive to, to kind of the world that we've grown up in, doesn't it? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. We're more quick to speak and slow to listen, at least uh, for me, personally, sometimes I have that same issue. But there's other scriptures besides this passage in James that talks about this idea of, of listening or, or at least not using so many words, not speaking all of the time. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28 says, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Sometimes we just need to learn to when to keep our mouth shut. I think it's fair to say that all of us in this room, would be, if we were honest with ourselves and with one another, we would all say that we all need to work on our listening skills. Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's obviously talking about hearing about the truth of the kingdom and all of that, but there's, a, there's also a principle there. Listen. Listen carefully. Most of us talk way too much and don't listen near as much as we should. One classic thinker put it this way. He said, we have two ears but only one mouth, <laughs> that we may hear more and speak less. So in the passage that we read just a moment ago, James is basically telling us to listen first, listen well, and to think twice before speaking. For, for me, it's more natural to speak first and then only really kind of only half listen. Most of us are ready and willing to give out free advice, sometimes even when it's not asked for. 
That's something that we've been learning with our five children, and especially as they become adults, there's certain things we want to say, but we know that it's their family. It's, it's their turn to be in charge, so we have to kind of guard against that. It's so hard sometimes. <laughs> it's often irritating for me when I haven't played golf in a, in a while, but when I, when I would play golf, um, the, somebody on the tee box, I'm teeing off, and after I hit the ball and it goes off in the wilderness somewhere, which, you know, what's, what's the fun of hitting it down the middle, you know? <laughs> so wander off in the wilderness to try to find a ball and say, you know what your problem is? And he starts listening to all my problems. And I'm like, you know, I appreciate your advice. First of all, I didn't ask you for your advice. I know that my golf swing has flaws. There's a reason I'm a youth pastor and not a professional golfer. And you just saw the reason. So keep your mouth shut. Now, there's some guys that I would play golf with that might help me. You know, I might ask them. But if I don't ask, please don't tell me. I know my, just, you're just going to make me feel worse, right? By telling me, you know what's wrong with your swing? Yeah, I know. Well, you're going to be bleeding in just a second, so stop talking. <laughs> but that's a whole other Bible study right there. When we talk about violence, we'll do that next time I come. Maybe tomorrow we'll talk about it. If, if I do get to come out here today, I, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But sometimes advice, sometimes wisdom and, and counsel from others, of course, obviously, is, is helpful. When it's asked for, or even sometimes, quite frankly, we sometimes have to speak that wisdom into other people's lives uh, uninvited when it's, when it's like godly wisdom, right? When there's a loving confrontation that sometimes needs to take place. But we need to, we still need to learn to listen more because as we listen more and listen closely, that will help us to be able to maybe come alongside them and help them with that in, in sharing the words of wisdom that we might have or that the Lord leads us to tell them. Someone once said if, no one ever spoke unless he knew what he was talking about. A ghastly hush would descend upon the earth. <laughs> one of my favorite theologians who's gone to be the Lord now, one of our great Baptist theologians, a fellow named Tommy Lee, he wrote this about this passage in James, and I'm quoting him. It says, not only is it a call to listen to each other better, but it is a, but it is a call to listen better to the word of the Lord. It implies an eagerness that we should have to hear and obey his message. The call to be slow to speak, he says, demands silence until we have understood and applied the message. It's a call for self-control so that we can avoid hasty, ill-timed reactions. He goes on to say that the challenge to be slow to become angry is a warning, uh, is warning us against feelings of hostility and bitterness. And we will not be able to hear from God if we're distracted by bitterness, resentment, or an attitude of vengeance. And so we're told in verse 19, as we just read a moment ago, to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. And then he adds in verse 20 the reason for this. He said he doesn't just give us this command, but he gives us the reason for the command. And the reason is because human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Don't you just love the way God does that in the scriptures? He doesn't just give us a command and say, now be that way. But he, he often will give us the reason why he's given us that command so that we have a, a better understanding into his character because this is the way that he is and the way that he works. And, and also a great reminder of what we're here for. As followers of Jesus, we are here to live a righteous life, not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that Christ gives us, that we live out in our lives for his glory and for his honor. And the anger that James is referring to here is not... So much is like that flashing kind of a destructive temper as it is that slow, simmering pot of bitterness 
that leads to this display of mean-spirited feelings. You know, sometimes it happens where there's a whole bunch of stuff that we've kind of bumped up against, and this last person is the last straw, as we say, right? And then we just kind of unload on them. It's really not, we're not really that upset with them. It's just everything else that's been coming our way. If we're not careful, if we don't guard against that, then we fall into this kind of anger that James is talking about. John Blanchard, he's a British theologian, he writes this. He says, the Christian must be reluctant to become angry because the fine line between righteous anger and personal irritation is sometimes very thin. There's sometimes a very hazy border between defending principles and defending ourselves. So more often than not, really, this unguarded speech or this angry speech that we have, it's the expression of a heart that's in great turmoil. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we, the words that we're using are coming out of our heart. And if our hearts are in turmoil and we have bitterness that we're harboring in our hearts or hiding in our hearts, then that's going to come out in the way that we speak and the way that we treat one another. I remember when I was in college, I played intramural basketball and I was on a team with a bunch of guys who were studying to be in the ministry. And I mean, we were okay, but we, we came up against a team that the four of the five guys on the intramural team played on their high school basketball team together. So they were running plays and calling out numbers and doing all that. We, we're just trying to get open and get the ball and shoot. That's what we were trying to do. These guys had this organized. It was fun to watch. But, you know, they started beating us pretty bad. And they were a lot little younger than us. We were... We were so old, we were like juniors, and they were, you know, they were freshmen, so gosh, they had so many years on us, you know, youth and skill, you know, we thought we had old age and wisdom, but we just had old age at that point, so I, they was starting to, it was starting to get under my skin a little bit. You, you may not know this or recognize this in me, but I, I can be a little bit competitive, and I have to kind of guard against that, and I, I don't like to lose, I, I'm good at it, but I don't like it. <laughs> And so this one guy who's guarding me, he's been pushing on me, and, you know, it's intramural basketball, so we're trying to have a little bit of fun, and there's the referees, if you want to call them that, but they had whistles, and so I guess they're calling some of the rules and stuff, but this guy just really started getting under my skin, and so I, I just kind of, I pushed him, going for a rebound, it's part of the game, right, no autopsy, no foul, that's the way I play, and the ref didn't see it, so it was still good, right, kind of gives you a clue, huh? You don't want to play with me on my team for sure. Well, so this guy, he, he said something. He tells the rest of the, he yells out, hey guys, we're starting to get to him. Let's turn it up. Boy, that just set me off. I was already set off, but he really, that set me off. So at halftime, the buzzer sounds, and I just let this barrage of language come out of my mouth that had not come out of my mouth in a long time. And my preacher boy friends are trying to hold on to me, you know, kind of calm me down. And I'm telling them, get away from me, filth and foul and filth and foul. I was terribly embarrassed. I'm a little embarrassed to share it with you now. So after the halftime rest period, I drank some water and sat down, I played for about another minute and a half, and then I pulled myself out because I just couldn't, I was like, this is not good for me to be this way. It was because my heart was in turmoil. I don't remember the turmoil that it was in, but things weren't right, and that's why even this preacher boy kind of got upset about that. So we always have to keep in mind that losing our temper will not achieve the righteousness of God in our lives. Now, it's not necessarily, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying, it's not necessarily a sin to be angry. 
Because Paul says, in your anger, do not sin, right? So he recognizes that we're going to have this time of anger. But it's how we deal with that anger, whether it's a righteous anger or whether it's just a, a personal inconvenience. And I've noticed in my own life that the personal inconvenience usually takes dominance in my life. And so I have to be extremely careful about that. But angry words are not ever going to yield to, to purity and peace. And human anger is never, ever going to bring about the righteousness of God. So how do we get to the point where we can be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger? Well, James tells us in verse 21 of chapter 1. Let's look there again. He says, Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the, and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. He's telling us, get rid of that stuff. He's literally telling us to, to take it off, strip it off as we would take off dirty clothes. And then what do we do? We replace it with the things of God. John Blanchard again says, There must be recognition that every sin is an abomination in God's sight, an offense to His majesty, His glory. And James makes it very clear that even those sins which we might tend to think of as comparatively small are defiling, deep-rooted, and damaging, and we must get rid of them with ruthless determination. So until we grow to the point in our lives that we recognize for sin what it really is, and until we cease to justify it, and, and until we decisively reject it or take it off or get it out of our lives, we will have a difficult time progressing forward and growing in our faith and our, in our discipleship with the Lord. But as we strip off this moral filth, as James describes, we put on the things of the Lord. We've got to put on something else, right? And so he tells us what we need. He says, take all that stuff off and receive the implanted word. He's talking about the scriptures, of course. Sometimes we only go halfway. We try to get rid of that filth. We, take, we try to take that stuff off, but we, we forget to get dressed again and put on the things of God instead. Well, how do we do that? Well, obviously, one of the, the obvious, most obvious answer, I think, is we do that by reading and studying the Bible, what we've gathered to do here this morning, and that we, whenever we, even if we're at home and we're studying by ourselves, that's important too, right? And I'm afraid that sometimes we spend so much time or a lot of our time reading books about the Bible and don't necessarily read the Bible itself enough. Now, don't understand what I'm saying. I'm extremely thankful for those people that God has inspired to take a, a passage or a, or a book of the Scriptures and they, they write stuff and make comments about that to give us some uh, understanding and, and illustrate it in a way that might bring it to, to where I'm like, wow, I never thought of it that way. And then they help us with that that God-given kind of insight that we might get from them. But, but the only thing that we take as God's Word is God's Word itself. We, even all of our favorite authors, they've got some things that they've written that are not all correct. It's impossible for them to be right all the time in everything that they, that they write or produce because they're not God, and neither are we. And so it's okay to look to those folks for inspiration, but we really need to make sure that it's well-grounded well in the Scriptures. And by the way, that's another way that we can kind of test with what they're saying is good or in tra on track with, with right thinking as far as the Scriptures go is if they line up with the Scriptures. So it's another way for us to kind of test that. And then James also adds this. He says, receive the implanted word, but then he throws in that word humbly. Isn't that interesting? Humbly. Why do you think James wrote that? 
Well, first, because God inspired him to write it, so that's why it's in there. But I think James kind of understood, and I know for sure God understands, and that's why he inspired James to use that word humbly, is that if we are unteachable, if we don't approach the Scriptures with humility and with an open heart and mind to receive the truth that God has put in His Scriptures, that's not receiving it humbly. And then it's, not, it's going to be less powerful and, and have less uh, opportunity to work in our lives the way that God wants it to. So James throws that in there. It's very, very important for us that we would approach it with great sincerity and humility. We've got to have a teachable spirit. We have to... Uh, recognize and acknowledge that that God knows best. And we have to really, I mean, we say that often, don't we? But sometimes we don't really live that way. And then James tells us that the Word has been implanted in us. What he's telling us, he's reminding us that it's, it's taken root. As we grow in our discipleship, as we read the Scriptures and study it, it becomes a part of us. It becomes more natural, actually, technically, I guess, supernatural because it's God working in our lives, but supernatural part of who we are, where we think about the things of God. And, and because of uh, the fact that we're allowing God to continue to transform our hearts and turn us into what He wants us to be and make us into what, what He wants us to be, then that, that is shown in the way that we speak, in the way that we treat one another. It's that inside-out transformation that takes place because God's Word is implanted in us. It's it's taking root in our lives. It's changing who we are. He uses His Word to develop in us that godly character that He wants each of us to have. And then James says how we need to listen to the Word in verse 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He's, he's acknowledging that those who would hear this letter read or who would read this letter, they, they are listening to the Word, but the indictment that James gives us here is that they're only listening. They're merely listening. Or they're only half listening. Or listening for the purpose of gaining knowledge. There's folks that knowledge is a very important thing, and they just want to be super smart and stuff, and so they just read all kinds of things, including the Bible. And we, even, even us believers, sometimes we fall into that trap. We want to know so much about the Bible, but we forget to allow it to do what it's supposed to do in its living and activeness, as Hebrews describes it, in transforming us, God using it to change us and mold us into who He wants us to be. So we, we sometimes might casually or half listen. You know anybody like that? You know anybody who only half listens? Brenda says that, that I half listen, but I don't, I don't really know because I wasn't paying attention when she said that. <laughs> James is referring to the person, of course, who's patting himself on the, him or herself on the back because they have a great amount of scriptural knowledge. They're very smart in the scriptures. Sometimes we think if we can listen to a sermon or a uh, a podcast or go to a Bible study or uh, read, some, read some sermons or just even read the scripture, we, we think we're doing okay, but the truth is we're, we're sort of deceiving ourselves, as James is describing for us, if we're only doing it for knowledge's sake. We, some, some have missed the fact that there's more to it than just listening. The critical test is, are you also doing it? Now, I would say this. If you're only reading the scriptures and not doing it, that, that's... Good, that's better than not reading the scripture at all. But let's, let's step into the next part of the process. 
Don't just read it and learn it or hear it taught or even teach it yourselves. But let's live it out as well. It's not just what you know or hear, it's what you do with what you know. One writer says, true knowledge is the prelude to action and it is the obedience to the word that counts in the end. So then James gives this command in verse 22 to not only hear the word and uh, I mean, not only, yeah, not only hear it, but to do it also. And really what he's literally telling us is to keep on becoming doers of God's word. So there's an implication that it's already been taking place. So keep on doing that. And, and you can almost even infer, keep on doing it and do it even more than before. Keep growing in that direction. I'm going to quote Tommy Lee again. He says, James insisted on, a, on an obedience which lasts. This doesn't minimize the importance of hearing God's word. It does emphasize strongly the need for acting. Too often, Christians view a sermon as an interesting moral or theological lecture. And so we need to do something other than just sitting and listening. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So this James isn't giving us new information here. He's just backing up what Jesus has said and what we see throughout the entire scriptures about hearing God's word and then doing what he calls us to do and being obedient to his word. We've got to do something with what we've learned. Another commentator says this. He says, frankly, the problem is faced by many Christians within the contemporary church. They become spectators who enjoy listening to the Word of God preached and taught Sunday after Sunday, and their heads are filled with biblical knowledge and facts, but they ignore the translating of that knowledge into godly living. And we can all be guilty of that. In fact, again, if we were honest, we could probably say, we, yes, we have all been guilty of that. And let's not let that be defeating to us. Let's just do better. Let's, as we read the Scripture, let's also do what it says. And then James gives us, in verses 23 through 25, he gives us an illustration to kind of help us understand what he's talking about. Let's read that again, verses 23 through 25. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. I find it interesting that in verse 24 it says, For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. Instead of, he immediately forgets what he looks like. Do, do you see the difference that's there? I mean, obviously the illustration could work either way. You look in the mirror and you walk away and you forget, What, what shirt am I wearing? Well, look down, it's right there. Or you forget how your hair looks or whatever. But there's something more intent that James is trying to get across to us here. And he's saying goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was because when we look into our own eyes, it reveals who we are, right? And who we're becoming as we allow God to work in our lives. And so if we listen to the Word and we don't do what it says, we forget where we belong in the kingdom and what God is doing in us and wants to do through us. It's a very pointed point that he's making. It's painting a good picture for us to understand that. As well, it's a good illustration. <laughs> Isn't that silly? This is a great illustration. It's in the scriptures. Of course, it's going to be great. But it helps us to understand even more what what James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to tell us 
in the way that we read the Scripture, study the Scripture, and let it take root. Let it be as it works out, this implanted, being implanted in us. It's like we're grafted. It's grafted into our lives. And then he says in verse 25, what he's talking about is the idea of the person who literally stoops down to see. You've heard the phrase, stop and smell the roses, right? Well, this is kind of along that line. James is saying, well, you stoop down and investigate or stoop down and pay close attention to. Not just a casual reading, but we stoop down and pay attention. The one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. Taking the time to really really dig into it and consume it and let it begin to consume us even more. And as we grow in our faith and as we place ourselves more and more under the authority of God's Word and as we do what we've been taught, then we will obviously continue to grow towards Christ's likeness and that's what God wants us to do. There's a, another fellow named William, Bar excuse me, William Barclay and he gives some good insight here. He says, into the phrase, the perfect law of freedom. He says basically that the, the law is perfect because it's God's law. That, that makes sense, right? It's given and it's revealed by Him, and it cannot be bettered as hard as we might try to add stuff to the Word of God. It's a waste of time because we can't better it. There are no alternatives to this perfect law that God has given us. It's perfect the way that it is. The commandments are perfect the way that he gave them to this. But it gives us the direction and the guidance of what we need to do and what we need to be in order to be what God is creating us to be. The scripture uses the word perfection, but it's not talking about necessarily about perfection as in never messing up. Perfection, think maturity. As we're growing in that, we're... We're moving towards that maturity in what God is doing in our lives. This is what the perfect law of freedom does. It Because we're no longer slaves to sin, we are now uh, slaves to what God has called us to. And that's a better, I know the word slave just has such a negative connotation, but it's way better to be a servant of God than it is to be a servant of sin. Or a servant of anything else for that matter. And then James takes this final little part of this section, verses 19 through 27, and he talks to us a little bit about what true religion is. In other words, how to do what we've been learning so far. Verses 26 and 27 again. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So basically James is just addressing the people who think that they're religious but they haven't taken the time to listen intently to what God's word has to say. It's the, the type of person who's more focused on the external things of doing religious activity as opposed to the transformational uh, activity when God is working in our lives and transforming our hearts and then the, that affects what we do, that affects our behavior. And so it's the difference between just going through the motions and being motivated by the transformation that's taking in our hearts or taking place in our hearts to do, to do what God has called us to do. They, they put way too much emphasis on fasting and giving and worship attendance and public prayer and all of those things. And James isn't saying those things are bad. We know those, those, are, those are great things for us to practice. But out of a heart of transformation, not because we're, gonna, we're trying to earn God's favor. 
it's a subtle thing for us, but it's a very important thing for us. Pure religion is worship of God free from any moral corruption or spiritual impurity. Pure religion is alive, it's vibrant and committed to God through Christ. And it's much more than somebody who just attends church periodically, gives money and lives in decent morality. You could say they're a good person. Pure religion really demands self-control and self-sacrifice and self-denial. And the person with a pure religion, as described for us here, shows self-control by managing the tongue. That's what he's talking about in the first part there in verse 26. We show that self-control as we manage our tongue so that it praises the Lord and it also avoids the action of insulting and attacking our fellow humans. So as a person who's practicing pure religion, as we show self-sacrifice by using time and money to care for those who are needy, that's the other part of what James is getting at here. And in this particular case, the two of the most neediest groups in that world were widows and orphans. Now, we have to be careful not to look at this passage, and I think you guys are all smart enough to figure this out, but this is not just the only two people we're supposed to look at, right? or groups of people, widows and orphans. There's all sorts of people that fit into the category. James, just because that's an easy illustration, pointed to those two because they were the most dominant in that world in that day and time. Even in our day, we've got to take care of widows. We've got to take care of orphans. That's why we have a Baptist children's home in Portales. That's part of our attempt as a cooperating as cooperating churches in New Mexico to try to help hurting families. Now, those, to be fair, a lot of those kids at the children's home are not necessarily orphans, but they are in terrible family situations. Just think of anybody that you know in your family, friends, people in the community who are struggling for in whatever way. They fall into this category. The way that we practice our pure religion is to take care of folks who can't take care of themselves in a way that would bring glory to God and in a way that would meet a need in their lives. So we need to be not only listening. I always think of listening and paying attention as kind of two sides of the same coin. We're listening to God and to one another, but we're also paying attention to what's going around or going on around us. And maybe there's a need that we can meet. Maybe there's somebody we know who needs some help. Maybe maybe you might have an opportunity even today to lend a hand to somebody who that you're aware of or that you become aware of today. It's important for us to look beyond ourselves. Not listening, speaking way too much, is thinking mostly about ourselves. And God has not called us to do that. He has called us to think of others first. So may we listen more and speak less in our relationships with people. May we listen to God's Word and also do what it says. And may we look intently into the Word, allowing it to permeate our entire lives, to be rooted in us. And may we also be unselfish in our service to others in the body and those outside the body of Christ as well. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you, Father, for giving us your guidance and instruction through the Scriptures. I, I, 
I know, Lord, that I pray this often, but I'm amazed at the fact that you created us and gave us this beautiful place to live. And it would have been easy for you to just say, okay, here you go, people, here's your world, just live, do. But you didn't abandon us in that way. Part of another way that you fulfilled the promise of never leaving us or forsaking us. You've given us your word, you've given us your creation that points to you, you've given us your Holy Spirit who speaks to us and teaches us and reminds us of things that we've already learned. You are here with us, Emmanuel, God's with us. You could have done it any other way, God, but you have chosen to be with us. And we're grateful for that. Help us not to ever take that for granted. And thank you, Father, for the instruction of your word. And the way that you use it to mold us and shape us into who you want us to be. As well as revealing who you are. And all your characteristics. And there may not there may be some things in here, Father, that we just we don't understand right now. That's okay because we trust you. So thank you, Father, for giving us this instruction. And I pray specifically this morning, Father, as we've looked at this passage in the letter that James wrote, that you would help us to be better listeners to one another, but also, mostly importantly, to your word. Because I feel like, Father, that as we listen and as we do what it says, it will help us to be better listeners to one another. So I pray for that for all of us in this room this morning, Father. Thank you for being here with us this morning, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, obviously, the only way that we can do this stuff that we've talked about here is if we've surrendered our lives to Christ. We can go through the motions, but that's what James is telling us not to do. And there's lots of people who could go through the motions. And there's even some of us who profess to follow Jesus who are still going through the motions. We want to give you an opportunity maybe to respond this morning. Perhaps God has... Uh, spoken to you in a way that you just feel like you need to respond publicly in a moment. Marvin and I will be down here at the front. We, if you'd like to have us pray with you, we'd, we'd be more than glad to do that. And if you're here this morning and you've never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, in fact, when I say that, you're like, what does that even mean? We would also love an opportunity to explain what that means. Because the truth is that our sin separates us from God, and the only way that that sin could be taken care of was by a sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. Jesus came and willingly took our place on the cross. He gave his life in place of ours to buy us back from captivity, from, the, from being in bondage to sin. And then by his resurrection three days later, that proved that God has power over death in the grave. And because he lives, we can live. If you've never done that this morning, if you've never done that, this morning would be the time. I would urge you, I plead with you, to be reconciled with God as we stand together. As we stand.